I am going to ask you just to stand with me one last time as we uh, pray to the message, as we read together Psalm 100. And I believe it's in your bulletin and also in the Bible. It's in the Bible um, and on the screen right behind me. Psalm 100, shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good. And his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Father, may we enter in, as we have in some ways already, into this great truth that you are good and that your faithfulness continues throughout generations. May you guide now my thoughts and give us receptive hearts and minds. In your name, amen. You may be seated. Over a third of the Psalms in the 150 Psalms that we have in the Old Testament are Psalms of praise. We think that the Psalms were composed by at least seven persons. David is attributed to composing at least 73 of the Psalms that we find in the 150. Editors of the Psalms have compiled them in a, in a way that's not really systematic, but they are kind of divided into five books and they have themes. They have similar kind of ways of starting and ending. Some of them are psalms of lament by which the psalmist cries out in their torment and in their challenge and in their pain. Sometimes somebody's coming after them. Sometimes it's a nation. (laughs) Sometimes you read the psalms and you sense that perhaps the psalmist is depressed. Many people read the psalms and find that they can relate to the psalms. I struggle with the psalms somewhat. But as I've studied and looked at this particular psalm, I was drawn into a deeper reflection of perhaps how psalms, in particular, Psalm 100, can encourage us and remind us and perhaps reorient us to what it means to come together to worship God. Psalms have been written for various reasons. I share this just as information to perhaps enrich your own study of the Psalms. Some are, are, are very easy to use privately to, because they express deep feelings of anguish or, or contrition or gratitude. And so some people will read some Psalms and just find that their heart resonates with the words. They, they find an easy way to access it. Uh, some, some psalms have been written for gatherings of believers to teach and to encourage one another to praise God. And even in the New Testament, we see that the early church practiced this very thing. They sang psalms and used psalms as means of teaching and reminding one another of who God is. 
Of course, psalms were also used for formal worship services. And as people gathered to worship God, they were used as a part of the liturgy of the gathered people of God. But this morning, as I turn and as I chose from the Christian calendar, Psalm 100, I was challenged by the psalm because it is a psalm that has no expressed need. It has a psalm that is pure in its worship of God. There is no dilemma, there is no challenge, there's no anguish, there is no suffering. It is a simple psalm of praise. And before I share with you some very brief thoughts, I, I want to suggest to you that because it's just a pure psalm of praise that has no need and suffering and problem and pain, it does not mean that the psalmist dismisses those things. Because when you begin with Psalm 1 and you end with Psalm 150, you've gone through the whole range of human experience. You recognize that the psalmist is a realist. The psalmist understands that there's moments of challenge. The psalmist understands that when we gather for worship on a Sunday like this, not everybody feels, woo! In fact, this morning as I was feeling, woo, you know, and I turned around and all three of my loving children were sitting with their heads down like this. And the contrast in how they feel and how I feel are worlds apart this morning. But they are starting to come alive and smile a little bit more. So that's good. But when we gather for worship like this, we may come from different experiences. Our weeks may not have gone like we wanted. We may feel challenged. We may even feel depressed. And so when the psalmist begins and he says, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth, you may not feel that way this morning. And yet the psalmist is suggesting that all God's people suffer from a pre-existing condition of joy. He is suggesting to us that our joy is not defined because we come to worship, but that there is joy or reason or there's already reason for joy present within those who confess that the Lord is good. In fact, he would suggest that when we come to worship, we would not diminish our circumstances or forget about our problems, but that in fact, we are invited to remember and to affirm that the reason to shout for joy is because the Lord is good. The Lord is good. The Lord is good. That you see, worship like this on a Sunday morning has, although I must admit, I really enjoyed the songs this morning. I enjoyed what sounded like a didgeridoo, even though it was just a little thing you were, I don't know what that was, but that was so cool. You see, the, the psalmist is teaching us that worship is not about style. It's not about, uh, you know, whether we feel impressed with how the music is done. He says that the beginning point for worship is that the Lord is good, that his faithfulness continues throughout all generations. No matter the circumstance of your life, there is a certainty and a foundation that grounds your joy, not in people or circumstance, but in the goodness of God and his faithfulness to you and to me throughout generations. Let me say it again, for the Lord is good. I don't know this morning if that resonates with you, but as I 
thought about this scripture, I thought that the psalmist teaches us perhaps and reminds us what it means to come into the presence of God as his people. You see, there's different kinds of psalms. Some of them are individual psalms. They, they, they can be used for private worship, but this one is a corporate psalm. It's, it's a psalm that, that Bible scholars teach us is most usually, usually used when people gather together in God's presence. This is a psalm that invites his people to come, and it's a psalm that I think is instructive for us in a day and age where coming together like this on a Sunday may seem like tradition, like root. We may get into a rut. We may just think it's the normal things Christians do. And week after week we come to do what? To sing songs and to hear the scripture. Do you know that there's over a thousand references in the Bible to singing songs of praise? Do you know that most of the psalms given to us is given to us as songs that were sung in worship? Last night, my wife, uh, yesterday afternoon, my wife and I were sitting at a bench holding hands, and we were talking. And I got a little nervous because I didn't quite feel ready for this morning. And so I said to her, help me prepare my message as best you can. I said, why do you think we're singing songs? And she responded, and she said to me, I think we sing songs because songs have the ability to express what's deep within us that words cannot there certainly is something about music. There's something about gathering. There's something about collective worship that, that, that when it's put to music does something to stir the heart. Though I must confess, I see a lot more exuberance at hockey games than I do in Sunday morning service. I see worship expressed throughout our culture in different ways with enthusiasm and passion. And yet when we gather as God's people, we ought not to be stifled, but we ought to be free to worship the God who, according to scripture, is faithful throughout all generations. He is worthy of worship. Does not mean you have to raise your hands like I do. I suffer from a condition that's called raising hands. I cannot sing or go through a service without raising my hands. It does not mean you have to run the aisles as a Christian, but if the truth grips your heart this morning then you must along with me shout for joy for the Lord is good and his love endures forever I've made the same point for the last seven minutes I think why Psalm 100 is tough is because sometimes it's hard to discern that he is good sometimes life is difficult Sometimes disappointment clouds our vision. Sometimes tears get in the way of the hope that we have. And it is not as if the psalmist is dismissive of our pain or our problems or our challenges, but the psalmist raises our eyes to the one who is worthy of worship and says, when we gather as God's people, we do not dismiss our realities, but we are drawn into a deeper reality that is given to us as a promise. God's faithfulness endures forever. He is always worthy of praise because what he has done, no one else can do. He's always worthy of praise for he is good and he has made us his people I love the psalm because the psalm makes God the emphasis of worship it's not about my feelings it's not about my pain it's not about my problem it is about who he is the psalmist says that in worship we know who this God is 
We know that he is the one that has given us life and we have not created it for ourselves. We know that we are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. And therefore we enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. We give thanks to him and we praise his name. He is the cause for the psalmist's joy. And he is still that very same reason that we sing songs and worship together today. I like the psalm because it reorients me in worship to not only recognize that it is about God, but that worship is also something that becomes a means of proclamation, a means of witness. I want you to pay attention to the opening lines. Shout for joy. This is public worship. This is something that happens with other people. I know that we as Canadians, and yes, I include myself in that because I am. I am so Canadian. I know that. I love Canada. I love Canadian culture. Um, A little bit of patriotism right there, and then we apologize, right, for feeling that way. Um, So I'm sorry. Uh, Got ahead of myself. But, but when I look at the, the, the opening affirmation that we ought to shout for joy, we realize that this is a, a public confession. This is something that has to be heard. This is something that has to be expressed. In fact, when our children gather and they sit with us in worship, whether they've had a good week or bad week or whether they've been through different things, I think there's a very practical thing that happens when we worship this God with that joy, with that gladness, with that sense of delight in who he is that shows and witnesses to them that we know the worth of this great God. There's something about worship that teaches others who God is. There's something about worship that proclaims that God has ultimate value in our life. You come on Sunday mornings not to satisfy your list of religious duties, but we come together to worship God so that in the worship of God, others will be affirmed to know this God and your and my faith will be strengthened in him. It is when we worship together that we strengthen the collective witness and faith of the church. It is when we worship together that our worship becomes witness. Not because it's a strategy, but because it declares that there is a God who is worthy of worship. And this worship is overflowing within the community of faith. It is something that is heard, something that is seen, something that is expressed. When you come on a Sunday morning and your friend has asked you, why don't you go and do something with me? You are proclaiming in worship that you have a God who means all to you. When you stand in the assembly and you sing, whether in quiet, reflective, meditative amens, or in exuberance, expressing your faith and clapping your hands, you are proclaiming not only to God that he is worthy, but you are proclaiming to those around you your faith and who he is. Such worship we must do week after week as we come together because it is essential to remind us that amidst the highs and lows and the despairing situations of life, amidst the challenges that we must face, that there is an ultimate truth that defines who we are. We are his people. And he is our God. So, the reason we shout for joy is clear. 
By the way, if you were to study the Psalms, one of the keys, and I'm learning, I'm learning, I'm trying to get into the Psalms more and understand them, so I'm reading a lot about it. And um, one of the keys is, is where the Psalm begins and where it ends. It kind of gives you the thesis sometimes. So, so, so let's do a little exercise if you have your bulletin in front of you. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Verse 1. For the Lord is good. It's the last verse. And his love endures forever. You get that? Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Why? Because his faithfulness continues through all generations. The reason we worship is because God is good. The reason we invest the time and the energy every Sunday to come here is because his goodness is worth being made known to others. The reason we invest our time and our worship leaders practice week after week songs and learn how to play them and get the team on the same side is because we recognize songs are one of the ways in which we give praise to this God, one of the ways in which we proclaim him in the public assembly. Let us not forsake the corporate worship of God. Let us not define it in terms of whether our weeks were bad or good. Let us not come here on Sunday and and believe that God wants us to develop divine amnesia. Somehow by which we just forget our pains and our problems and we are therapeutically medicated for an hour and a half. But let us come as we are into the presence of that which is, according to the psalmist, Unfailing, unchanging, infinitely true. And there at the feet of the one who is worthy, we bow in joy and in praise. Do you know how good it is to give thanks? Do you know how good it is to worship this God as you think about his goodness? Do you know how therapeutic it can be? (laughs) Do you know how liberating it is to be reminded that when life hands you lemons? (laughs) I don't know where I'm going with that one. But you know life can be sour. That nothing changes who he is. We have a firm foundation. We have... A promise that holds. That as we come to worship, as the psalmist teaches us, we know that he's good, his mercy is everlasting, and his faithfulness endures from age to age. And therein I lay in peace. Bob, would you come? And uh, I'm not opposed to you adding a song. And let us worship the Lord, for he is good.